welcome to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Emmett Knight. I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we are once again joined by Vinny Holloway from Brooksfield, where we are wrapping up the fourth episode of our four-part series, talking about how you can become a developer. And today we are going to dig into how do I complete a project once I've actually got one. So, what have we done so far? We've talked about funding, we've gone, we've found our land, we think it stacks up, we've talked about inflation and our expectations. Now let's get the things built. And I think that is the really interesting thing where ground gets broken and properties start springing out of the ground. So let's jump into it. So we've bought the land. What happens next? How do we get these properties built, Vinny? Yeah, okay. Hey, do you know the thing I really want to point out here is that although we're talking about making money and it is a business developing, but... The key thing you've also got to remember is that you are changing the face of whatever city you're doing it in. So like the architecture for us is certainly the most important part. And that's obviously where you begin as well. So the actual design of the houses, you're going to get the houses designed and you're going to simultaneously figure out how much it's going to cost to build them. And also at the same time, start looking at how you're going to sell them or finding buyers for them. Go back to the drawings, the architectural side of things. You go to something for that and, and obviously they're doing something a bit more detailed than just drawing a square and then putting a triangle on top of it. Yeah, they are, Andrew. And I mean, some architects or drafts, people will actually do a really good job without you having to help yeah, them at all. Yep. But often the case is that you're going to have to really direct them about what yes. what you're wanting or you're going to end up with a development that either looks awful or doesn't sell. I've noticed in a lot of your projects, for example, that initial stage of just getting the information together, there might be a site available, but the drawings part will be quite delayed because you'll get them back and then you'll make some tweaks. What are some of the tweaks that you sometimes make? Well, at first, oh, everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything I mean we look at everything it's even just like like practical the way cupboards open or something like that absolutely yeah so what direction the cupboards open like you know we always like to put a hallway when you first enter the house so you're not directly into the living room or, or kitchen and you know the pitch of the roof what kind of roof line it has where the gutters are what do the windows look like how big are they is there symmetry or does yes. it actually look correct when you're looking at a house, saying, I mean, I see a lot of new houses going up and you just look at them and you sort of think, man, did that really get across someone's desk? Yes, yes, yes. And did someone actually did take someone two say minutes yes? just to have a look someone at that? Someone say yes to that. I'll tell you the problem is, is that I've sort of looked at plans and made some changes and said that's, that's good and it looks nice. And then you build them and you realise like the decisions you're making for an hour at your desk are changing a street forever. So you do have to be really careful with the plans. Oh uh, yeah, I remember going through one of your earlier projects with you and there was maybe 20 things that you pointed out just from that project that you're going to do differently next time. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, a lot of developers would go through them and think that it was absolutely fine, hurrah. Which it is fine, but yeah. it's is it the best it can be. Exactly, yeah. So we've gone through and we've got to get the drawings and the architecture right, but then walk us through the council process because this is where we often say, oh, developers get tripped up here, things get delayed. Walk us through what actually happens with council. So, Ed, yeah, what I'll do is I'll walk you through that and, and as we go through these steps, I'll just do them one after the other, but in reality when you're actually doing it, a lot of them are on top of each other. So you're sort of planning and talking to council and selling all at the same time. But let's just say you've got the drawings done and you're happy with them and your architect or either your architect, draftsperson or surveyor has looked at them and they're happy with them in terms of council rules, manoeuvring for cars, outdoor living space requirements, all of that sort of stuff. You then are going to want to get a usually a resource consent from the council and a building consent from the council. And What's I, the difference? To put it simply... 
a resource consent is to say that this pen can go here, and a building consent is to say that this pen is made out of brass. So, you know, a building consent's all about the detailing and the engineering, whereas the resource consent's more about what does the house look like from the street, does it have outdoor living, are the car parks okay, what's it made out of, is there enough windows, all of that stuff. And what are the council looking at between those two things? Is it that the building consent needs to make sure that it is structurally sound, it's not going to blow over, and the resource consent is making sure the character of the street is correct and that the whole site ends up becoming a, a house that's actually got some green space around it, some outdoor areas? Yeah, that's that's you're dead right, Ed. And, you know, the resource consent, they take into account how much permeable surface is in the development, like how much stress is this development going to put on the stormwater system if there's too much concrete and does it offer the street a good sense of security so is there windows looking out onto the street so that there's less crime and all of these sort of things whereas you're right a building consent is what kind of nails are you using and is it going to stand up and what kind of things do you get kicked back on most often well that's kind of uh, that's an interesting question at the moment we generally get through pretty okay because we know what they want now but it took a long time to figure out what they want. And the biggest part of it, I mean, the building consent, so long as your draftsperson or architect has done a good job, usually goes through without much problem. But your resource consent has all sorts of bits and pieces that can go wrong. So the biggest one would be the urban design. Yeah, the urban uh, design panel is the challenge for most developers in Christchurch, right? Yeah, yeah. So look, I actually think the urban design is a great thing to have for a city because they make sure that what you're actually building is going to be good for the city and good for the street and the area. It's almost quite a subjective process, and that's fine, but sometimes going into it, you do something that you did on a previous development and it doesn't work this time because you've got someone else. From your experience, because I know that you've worked in Auckland or at least evaluated sites up there as well, are there similar design rules right across the country, or is this something unique to Canterbury? No, there is urban design rules across the country. And they're put in place in different councils for different reasons. So in Christchurch, if you're developing more than three houses or if you're developing in the RMD or RCC zoning, it will have to go through the urban design process. Now, let me ask you this. At what point do you actually start selling these down? So in order to get those pre-sales, you want something through council. How much do you need to have signed off before you so, actually start um, selling? Yeah, sure. So you, you do want to make sure that these – see, now we sell pre-council because we know our stuff gets through council, and if it doesn't, we know what to do to fix it. But in an ideal world, if time wasn't a problem, what you'd want to do is you'd want to – Go through council and get your resource and your building consents, which at the moment would take eight to ten weeks. It didn't used to, but there is obviously quite a backlog of development in Christchurch especially. So you want to go through that, and then what you want to do is get it priced by a builder so that you can be 100% sure that when you sell them for, let's say, $600,000, that your numbers that you did when you bought the section are still correct. Okay, and so we just talked about getting things costed by a builder. It might actually surprise some people to hear that most developers are not building these themselves. They're contracting out to building companies. Correct, yeah. Walk us through why that's the case. As a developer, I mean, you, you're making all the decisions and, and going through all the bits, the sales, the planning, the buying the land, the selling the houses. The last thing you need is also to be running a construction company. Yeah. So it's a lot easier for us and the builders to have them as separate companies who build the house at a fixed price. Okay, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And how do you go about figuring out which builder to use? So I'm now listening to the show, I've, I've 
run my numbers, found the piece of land, got some things through council, and I need to find which builder to use. How do you evaluate which one to use? Because they're probably all useless at getting back to you and they all probably, <laughs> you know, t- uh, turn up looking relatively the same. You know, how do I figure out which builder I should appoint? Well, Ed, you're probably going to end up kissing a lot of frogs like Andrew said earlier <laughs> about something else. But for us, you know, we've worked with quite a lot of builders and the ones we use now are excellent. You know, they're totally on board with what we're trying to achieve. But... If I was to start again and try find a builder, I mean, it's it's tough. It's like finding a builder to build your own home. It's just a gut feel thing. Do you trust them? Do you get along with them? If there's problems, are you going to be able to sort it out? Because the last thing you need is a builder saying that there wasn't handrails included in the build and then they're trying to charge you for handrails and... No, no, I know exactly what you mean, is that there are these things which aren't necessarily negotiated up front because they're such minor details and they come back and and erase later on. And actually that's a great, that leads on to a great question. Tell us some examples of where things have gone wrong. Yeah, sure. So you're always going to get some stuff go wrong on a development. And <laughs> five some things are, this morning? Yes. Five, <laughs> should we just look at my day? You're always going to get stuff that goes wrong. Some of it major, some of it not so much. And you're just going to have to deal with it. So something that's not that major that happens to us is we go to dig out a site before we pour the concrete slab and we hit really soft ground. And instead of putting 600 mil of gravel down, we have to put a metre down and then right. increase the cost. With our sales we can't then pass, it on pass to, the cost yeah. on to the purchaser, so we have to soak that sort of stuff up. Something more major would be something we had recently where we had actually completely finished a job and then on the handover week the council came to us and said, yeah, we've, we've signed it all off for building consent, signed it all off for resource consent, you've got title, but we're putting a Section 77 notice on your title, which meant we couldn't actually go through with the transaction. And because, this is a bit of a long story, but because our contract reads that the purchaser gets the house after title and code of compliance, which we had, we were in a position where we had fully drawn down on our loan, fully finished a house, we had buyers expecting to move into them next week and then we couldn't hand them over because they can't take the title with the section 77 on it and I mean that's a major for a few different reasons it's a major because we're fully drawn down on our loan so every day that goes by it's costing us and it's another major because purchases were within their rights to settle but their banks wouldn't give them a mortgage because of something we'd put on the title so well, who had actually made the mistake there? What had happened? So what had happened there? Oh, that's a bit of a long story. And who just heard the mistake? It was council, right? Dun, dun, dun. Council. Yeah, that was a council mistake. Well, I mean, what happened is they put a Section 77 notice on and then they approved the building consent even though that there was a Section 77 notice on there. So that shouldn't have really happened. And in an ideal world, we would have picked it up six months ago and sorted it out then. But then they've come to us and said, now we need to change all the fire-rated windows so now we're having to go back into houses that are complete, pulling windows out, changing windows for fire-rated windows. And this is the less glamorous side of development <laughs> that I guess people don't see when you see the Instagram developer in a private jet or something like that, and you think, oh, this, this looks pretty good. I know for a fact you know, that puts a huge amount of pressure, not only on you guys, but then also on the customers that you've been looking after yeah, exactly. because something completely out of your control. Yep. And that sort of thing happens all the time. That's yep. just one example of it. And I think it's important to recognise as well, Vinny, that even though you've appointed a building company to, to go through, build those properties, you know, you've done your job, you've got things through council, they're now building things, the developer's work is not done because you need to be there on site at different times to make sure that things are coming to time because every single day that goes by, 
you're paying interest on any loan that you've drawn down. But then on top of that, you're having to manage cost overruns as well to make sure that things are actually coming in on budget. But if the builders need more time in order to do things or, or things get delayed, that comes to more cost and you're not passing that on to the purchaser in that instance. So, you know, you're having to actively manage these. And I suppose the reason I bring that up is that if somebody listening to the show has got a full-time job and they're looking to do some developments on the side, you're probably going to want to make sure you've got a pretty understanding boss because your phone, just in this episode today that we've just been recording, I think your phone's gone off three times, Vinny, from various people who have, you know, probably wanting to call about some issue or whatever. So if you're going to be going out and developing your first project, expect to get a lot of phone calls throughout the day to make sure that things are on track and that you're managing these cost overruns as they naturally arise. So you get a clear title, you get your code of compliance, you got your resource consent, now you have settlement. What happens at settlement? Where you get the money. That was the part that Vinny was looking forward to saying. So this is where, uh, obviously, as an investor or an owner-occupier, you purchase the property, the money goes from your lawyer to the developer's lawyer, they pay off their loan, whatever's applicable, and then they pop some champagne. So I guess on settlement day is where yeah w- w- the transaction actually happens. So we get the money and the purchaser gets the house. Now, we try hand over our houses like you would hand over a brand new car with absolutely no dings in it and smelling nice and new. With a house, because it's almost a living thing made out of timber, sitting on ground that moves and it settles over time, you're always going to have things that you're going to have to come back and fix. And usually they're just small things like... Nails popping. Nails, screws popping in the jib and things settling and, and resealing bathrooms and stuff like that. They are absolutely amazing with nothing wrong with them on settlement day, but you are going to have to... Legally, you have to come back for 12 months to fix anything. We All, all of our homes have a 10-year master builder's warranty, which looks after that, should we... More severe structural side of things. Uh, right? More to do with the structural side yeah, of things, yeah. correct. Well, look, Vinny, we really appreciate you coming on the show to walk through this four-episode series on how to become a developer. Can you believe that we actually got to over 680 episodes and hadn't really walked through the nuts and bolts of how to become a property developer? Because it is interesting, and we know we've had a lot of you guys listening to the show asking about how to do it. Hopefully, this has given you some insight. Hopefully, it's scared a few of you off as well. Hopefully. Well, there are are some people who have the money and the ambition and the risk appetite to be able to develop, and those people are going to solve a real issue in society, building some more houses for us. The rest of us, we're going to buy them and make sure that those developers can can stay solvent most of the time and make sure that we are also building those properties. So really appreciate you coming on and make sure you tune in to tomorrow's episode because we're going to be doing a wrap up of the deal. So you've just heard Vinny being on the show today. If you haven't, go and check out his first episode of The Deal, which is now live at thedeal.co. I'm going to drop a link to that in the show notes. Tomorrow, we're going to go through some of those technical details that we discussed in the show. So Vinny, you remember we talked about flashing and suffetes and some of the properties that you'd presented to us on the deal. We're going to dig into some of the technical detail that we didn't have time to get into on the show. So make sure you tune in. It's going to be a great episode. Listen to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Epic Knight. I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.